privacy is more than just cybersecurity. That is, it's true that good cybersecurity can help protect privacy, but privacy risks extend beyond simply an overlap with cybersecurity risks. That's Naomi Lefkowitz, Senior Privacy Policy Advisor and Program Manager for Privacy Engineering at the U.S. Department of Commerce's National Institute of Standards and Technology. Lefkowitz is heading up this development of the privacy framework. Think of the privacy framework as a tool organizations can employ to better identify, assess, manage, and communicate about privacy risk. The framework's aim is to allow individuals to enjoy the benefits of innovative technologies with great confidence and trust. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro for Information Security Media Group, and I recently spoke with Lefkowitz about the Privacy Framework Initiative. The Privacy Framework is patterned after the widely adopted five-year-old cybersecurity framework that has been implemented by thousands of organizations inside and outside of the U.S. federal government. From the start, we really wanted to model just even the development process after the cybersecurity framework in terms of when you're developing a voluntary tool, you really need to get buy-in from the stakeholders who are going to be the ultimate users of the tool. Because if it's not providing value to them, then what reason do they really have to use it? We found that that was the process for developing the cybersecurity framework was very successful, and we really wanted to model that. For the past year, we've been highly engaged with all stakeholders from all sectors, all sizes, types of organizations through public workshops and comment periods and uh, webinars and meetings and, and presentations. So really, this document is a output from from that stakeholder feedback. So one of the clearest signals that we got from stakeholders was that they actually wanted not only the process modeled after the cybersecurity framework, but the structure as well. As in the cybersecurity framework, the privacy framework is centered on a set of activities and outcomes known as the core elements that consist of functions, categories, and subcategories. The core elements encourage a dialogue within organizations about managing privacy risk. This core, which is sort of divided up into sort of high-level functions and then categories and subcategories, is not intended to be treated as a checklist, right? This is not a prescriptive document, but rather to help organizations think about what are the key activities that I need to prioritize to really help me manage privacy risk? And sort of the mechanism for doing that, which is sort of the second main component of the framework, is this concept of developing a profile. And so organizations can sort of say, these are, you know, the activities, the outcomes, these sub, you know, we pick these functions and categories and subcategories. And this is what we are doing today, so that's sort of our current profile, and here's where we need to be, that's our target profile. And that difference between the two profiles can help organizations create an action plan that will really help them to strengthen their privacy programs and strengthen their protection for individuals for their privacy. Don't think of the privacy framework as offering specific solutions to privacy challenges. Think of the framework's tiers as guides to get managers and employees within an organization to communicate to one another on how best to devise privacy protection plans. We don't see these tiers as a pure maturity model, that is, every organization needs to get from one to four, but rather helping you answer a series of questions. So, you know, first question is, what privacy risks do I need to manage? 
once those have been identified, the next question an organization can ask itself is, do I have sufficient processes and resources in place to manage those privacy risks? And the tiers give sort of a generalized set of benchmarks that an organization can say, oh, here I am, these are the types of processes and resources that are associated with tier two, and maybe that's sufficient to manage the type of risk that they have. Or they might say, you know, we need to really have the type of processes and resources in place that are really associated with tier three or four, and that serves as a communication mechanism inside the organization to to explain why they need more resources and help allocate resources to strengthen their program. Take a quick glance of the privacy framework and you think you're reading the cybersecurity framework. And that's not coincidental. But the approach to cybersecurity risks and privacy risks differ. And that's reflected in the two sets of frameworks. We envisioned it essentially like think of a Venn diagram and we, we actually have um, put this into the into the framework. Cybersecurity risks are really arising from or associated with loss of confidentiality, integrity, and availability. I think that's, you know, well understood at this point. And there's certainly an overlap in terms of privacy breaches, which are essentially types of cybersecurity incidents where there's some sort of loss of confidentiality, integrity, and availability associated with people's data. But privacy is more than just cybersecurity. That is, it's true that good cybersecurity can help protect privacy, but privacy risks extend beyond simply an overlap with cybersecurity risk. One way that you can think about that is, you know, you can think about what happened with smart meters, right? In the smart grid, some communities were objecting to smart meters, not so much because they thought that utility companies couldn't keep the information secure, but because the information being collected through the smart meters was so granular that inferences could be made about their behavior inside their homes. Or think about sort of, you know, remember with uh, initially when the TSA body scanners were rolled out and they were designed to show sort of your real mm-hmm. body form. It wasn't that people were worried about, you know, anybody seeing them because they were sort of only supposed to be seen by the TSA agents, but they didn't want even the TSA agents looking at them as if they were didn't have any clothes on, right? So those aren't really issues of security. Those are really issues of how data is being processed in some way. And when we say processed, we mean the full information lifecycle from collection through disposal. That processing is happening as sort of an intentional activity in order to meet an organization's business or mission objectives. People can be impacted by that processing, right? They can experience different types of problems, which could just simply be embarrassment, right, about their bodies or concerns about surveillance, people understanding their behavior inside their homes. These problems um, can arise outside of the cybersecurity context, and that's what we think of as sort of sort of forming the the right side of, of the Venn diagram. And the privacy framework is really trying to address that data processing at large and, and thinking about the way that we collect and use and manage data. Who within an enterprise or government agency should own the development and management of the privacy framework? The answer to that question would reflect the culture and management style of each individual organization. But creating the privacy framework is an enterprise-wide effort because the framework brings privacy risk into parity with a larger risk portfolio that enterprises manage. One of the reasons that we followed that cybersecurity framework construct of, you know, moving from functions to categories to subcategories is that 
we found with the cybersecurity framework that the functions were very helpful for communicating with the board or the C-suite who weren't really hardcore cybersecurity professionals. You're not going to have discussions about the ins and outs of encryption with them, but they can, the five sort of simple intuitive words making up the functions were very helpful to just sort of get a general sense of, hey, this is how we're managing cybersecurity risk. And so we really wanted to model that and try to achieve that same success with the privacy framework so that those five functions that we have to date, at least uh, with the preliminary draft, serve that same purpose. And then as you make your way down to the categories and subcategories, some of those categories will be areas that the policy shop or their legal or compliance shop will focus on. Other areas are really more areas that IT or engineers would focus on. And so that cumulatively, the framework provides a means for a dialogue and a collaboration across many parts of the organization. Like other NIST guidance, the Institute turned to its stakeholders to get feedback on how to refine and improve the privacy framework. Just this year, NIST has held more than two dozen workshops, roundtables, webinars, and other events to educate stakeholders and to solicit comments and suggestions on the privacy framework. This fall, NIST issued a request for comments on the preliminary draft of the NIST privacy framework, receiving responses from 50-plus organizations as well as more than a dozen individuals. Lefkowitz says NIST has been genuinely and utterly thrilled by the engagement with stakeholders, characterizing their responses as incredibly constructive. The response helped NIST conclude that the widespread agreement on the approach to develop the cybersecurity framework is missing at times when creating the privacy framework. You know, imagine as if this was cybersecurity, you know, 15, 20 years ago. The initial concepts were introduced around confidentiality, integrity, and availability, and it wasn't as if people immediately said, oh, yes, right, and, they, you know, a lot of discussion had to go on and people had to get comfortable with the concept. So I think we're in a similar place where general discussion about the lack of sort of consistency of approach to privacy risk management and and so many of the things that we've been proposing and that people have been sort of helping us refine really relate to some novel concepts that we hope will, over time, bring that consistency. Uh, at the same time, we've been very encouraged to hear about organizations' practices and that they really are thinking about privacy beyond just cybersecurity incidents and want to see that reflected in the privacy framework. Can you give an example or two of what a novel concept could be? One of the things we felt was that cybersecurity had a widely agreed upon and understood risk model. That is, when you're trying to analyze cybersecurity risk, you're really analyzing certain factors about, you know, what's the likelihood that a threat will exploit a vulnerability and, uh, and the impact if that occurs. And when we tried to apply that same risk model to, let's take the uh, smart grid example, the question really was, well, what's the threat in this system? Is it the smart meter, which is trying to be beneficial, right, to, to help us use energy more efficiently? So essentially, you're having organizations say, well, my actual system that's trying to do good is actually sort of a threat to my constituents. So we didn't think that was a very appealing sort of mental model that really drove that discussion around what is happening with 
data processing and when is it likely the particular data action, you know, an operation that a system is taking with data, when is that likely to create some kind of problem for individuals? As I said, those problems can vary from anything from embarrassment to discrimination to economic or physical harm. But when is it likely to occur some kind of problem and, and what would be the impact? And that really became sort of the our privacy risk model that's complementary and sort of parallel to the cybersecurity risk model, but is more uniquely adapted to the type of data processing that we're talking about. When I say sort of some novel concepts is, you know, we took some of that work and leveraged that and introduced that in the privacy framework. And so you'll see, if you look at cybersecurity framework, you'll see that there's a category on risk assessment, and they talk about those cybersecurity factors like likelihood and impact and threats and vulnerabilities. And if you look at the privacy framework and the same risk assessment category, we've substituted things like problematic data actions and likelihood and impact to really provide more granular type of factors that organizations can use to analyze and identify privacy risk. The privacy framework fundamentally is a way for organizations to measure privacy risk and how to manage it. Producing such guidance is what NIST does. At NIST, we're a measurement agency and we're most interested in effective solutions, not checklist solutions. We really approached this privacy framework as a way to demonstrate what a risk-based approach to privacy could look like and that one that we would hope will result in more effective solutions for protecting individuals' privacy while also optimizing beneficial uses of data that accrue to the benefit of of all of us while we minimize any adverse consequences. NIST published the Cybersecurity Framework in 2014 and revised it in 2017. In 2017, President Barack Obama signed an executive order to require federal agencies to comply with its provisions. That order remains in effect. For private organizations, however, the cybersecurity framework is voluntary, as will be the case with the privacy framework. No decision has been made whether or not to require federal agencies to comply with the privacy framework. Lefkowitz says NIST hopes to publish version one of the privacy framework by the end of the year. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.